what did he say? I'm going to get a woman vice president. And then everyone's like, oh, you got to get the best person for the job. And you know what? Like, there's no best person for any job. There's just no way because no one can know every single person out there in the world. There's no best. You are now listening to The Living Numbers and Tony Rambles, 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 and The Living Numbers Podcast. This is The Living Numbers Podcast, where the numbers tell the story, but the people, the people give it purpose. Make sure you all subscribe for extra episodes. Yes, those come out. Some behind-the-scenes action with my guests before and after the interview. So make sure you guys and girls subscribe, uh, like, download. Of course, share this with someone who you think will find it interesting and entertaining. One thing I tell my kids all the time, because I have a speech class, I say, you got to be creative and you got to be entertaining. That's like a baseline. Because if you're not those two things, no one's going to want to listen to you. No one's going to want to watch you. So there you go. Yeah. So obviously, I have a wonderful guest here today. Someone, again, that I met at Podcast Movement. You may recognize that everybody I have coming out over these past couple of weeks, a month or so, they're all people that I met out there in August because it was such a great experience and I met so many great people. So you all know when we have someone on for the first time, it's a wonderful, elaborate introduction that they shall receive. So, hailing from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, she earned her bachelor's from the University of Maryland. A little bit of a trek there. She had no significant experience in tech before jumping into software development and eventually rose the ranks in companies such as VertiForce and Teletracking as a software engineer. In addition to her current position as senior product manager at Lipson, a podcast hosting and publishing company for those who don't know, she serves on panel discussions about compensation, working from home, and growing the tech industry, specifically podcasting. Trailblazer, certified agile leader and community Volunteer, I present the Yvette Manasse. Say hello to the people. Hello. Uh, nice to be on here. So, yeah, I met Tony at Podcast Movement, and he said his podcast was about talking to people and asking questions. And I think that that's a great idea because everyone has something to offer the world, you know? I agree. I agree. Is there anything that I got wrong in that intro? <laughs> um, Not really. No. Well, I live in Pittsburgh now. I was born um, mm-hmm. in D.C. I lived a lot of my life in Wheaton, Maryland. So, okay. But I've been okay. in Pittsburgh. That's where I live right now. So, I'm always like trying to find nuggets of information and cool things about the people that I have on, obviously. Yeah. And if you're not like a, a podcaster or some public figure or something, Sometimes it's hard to dig things up. Yeah. So, <laughs> which is good. I mean, we don't want all of our information out there like that anyway, unless you kind of don't have a choice. Like sometimes my kids, they'll go, well, I saw you on something. It's usually Instagram or Facebook or whatever. I'm like, well, I'm 
I'm a podcaster. Like I have to have my my info out there. You have to be able to find me. You know who I am. Yep. <laughs> so, a recent uh, scientific study, right? And we're going to kick it to our first number because when we met, you were talking about being an introvert, and I was like, "Huh? Okay, you have an you're an introvert with an extrovert job." I think that's one of the things that I I started with because you're at this booth. And you're just talking to people about your product and maybe trying to get people signed up. And I'm like, this is such an extroverted job. You have to be outgoing. You have to, you know, be comfortable with talking to people. And you, you said something that I thought it just kind of stuck with me. You're like, well, I'm an introvert. So I'm typically not like striking up conversation with random strangers, asking random questions. But if somebody has questions for me, I don't mind talking. I was like, huh, that's a different take. I haven't heard that before. My wife also likes to refer to it as her social battery. So if her battery's drained, she's not likely to talk to people. She kind of needs to get away, recharge, reset, that maybe reading a book, just hanging out with a cup of coffee, whatever. So I'm like, okay, I got to have you on. Just from our short conversation there, and then obviously, you know, as we cross paths throughout the, the week, you know, we talked a little bit here and there. So we are going to start. We're going to start here. Your last tweet. Do you know when your last tweet was? The last tweet. Um, yeah, I was thinking it might be something about Libsyn. I used to tweet a lot about Caribou Coffee. Occasionally about, I think I was tweeting a lot when Obama was running, but I I feel like I re- very recently tweeted one thing, but I don't remember what it was. Okay, so your last tweet was August twenty first, two thousand twelve. Two thousand twelve. Okay, I must have. I must have thought I had it. I probably had a different Twitter account because I, I set one Maybe. up for work, but I don't think I ever used it for Libsyn. Mm. So okay. twenty twelve. Yeah, was that election related? I don't remember. I'm like, wow, this is a long time ago. Yeah, no, but I don't remember. I pulled that because tweeting is a, a social, very social thing. It's getting your voice out there and basically saying, hey, come and get me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I thought about that and I went, okay, so what causes an introvert to do extroverted things? I know that's, isn't, that's a kind of a broad question. But I just wanted to talk about, because as I did my research, I saw that you do a lot of stuff that involves a lot of uh, other people, you know, volunteering, uh, your job, which we spoke about earlier. How did you start to kind of get outside of the your introvertedness or what was that process like? Um, that's a good question. It probably started back 2007, 2008. I worked at this caribou coffee in DC and it was like the biggest caribou coffee, like not in terms of size, but the volume. It was, I think the biggest one in the country in terms of the number of people who went through. And it was so busy that I found myself having to like talk to the customers and I was doing like shift supervisor work and talking to people because I realized if I didn't say anything, like the whole place was going to be a disaster. We had so many people coming in so quickly that we all kind of had to like, 
find our part and work together as a team. Um, and that meant sometimes I mean, telling people like, Hey, like we got to do this or the line's going to blow out the door. It was very popular. Um, like no matter what time of day there would be a line. Um, so that was one thing. And then after that, um, well, a few years later, I would, my other jobs were very introverted. Like maybe I would talk to my team doing software engineering. Um, when I worked at teletracking, I actually mostly worked by myself. Um, it was a decent sized company. I think about 90 engineers, but the team I was on was very small and I was working on a product alone. So I was laying low. And I think that that kind of contributed to bringing me back to being very introverted. And after that, um, I started to get more involved with my local community and the code and supply, which is the tech community here. And still like the projects I would work on would be pretty small scale. It'd be like four or five people and COVID hit. And then I was like, all right, I'm basically scared to leave the house, not because of COVID, but because I was so used to not interacting with people that even going to the grocery store or Target um, was very, I don't know, it was overwhelming because I had been working from home since before the pandemic and I was working on that team by myself. Then I go into a store and all of a sudden I see all these people. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't even know what to do with these people. So then I started working at Libsyn and originally like we were pretty small. It was me and this other girl who worked in product. She and I barely talked. She was kind of doing her own thing. I was doing my own thing. Um, and then the company started growing. And from there, I was, especially once the girl left, I ended up kind of having to be out there more. Um, and they started sending me to conferences and I started running more products. And something that's important with products, especially the ones that I do, because the recording one um, and then the call recording one, which is call scheduling um, with multi-track, really clear audio. Both of those were, well, the first recording one was about a few years old, but we were kind of updating it. And then the other one was brand new and we were building it from scratch. So I find myself talking to the people I work with very consistently to tell them what's up, what the plans are. Um, what the engineers plan to do, some of the technical stuff, some of the product stuff. Um, a lot of customers, I've been working with them to test it. And I got to get you set up because I think you would really like the audio, but it's free, right? So we try to get as many people as possible to test it. And then I go to these events and I'm sitting at the booth and there's so much noise around me, which I hate that, but you kind of get used to it and tuned it out. Um, but to me, especially with the volunteer work I do, some of it is working with underrepresented people in tech. Um, some of it is community style stuff like the tech community. Um, you know, they do hackathons and build nights. And then I work on this compensation survey. And while those can be kind of quiet events, I find that to promote them, I end up having to talk to a bunch of people and at my job, especially the past six months with some of the work I've been doing is more high profile. I find myself on these video calls, which I used to never do video calls when I first started working there at my other jobs. So I felt like every time I was talking, I was basically doing a presentation because you have to get mm -hmm. your point across very quickly. And, you know, everyone's trying to talk. And to me, like probably a, like the main priority for me is getting a message across whether it's social, political, work-wise. And that's the, like the main thing that drives me to actually be more extroverted. Um, for example, last week I got asked to be on this panel. Um, it was a tech panel about 
getting a new job during COVID, but also people's various tech backgrounds. So they had people of all um, different ages, different races, different genders. There was about five of us, different experience levels. And we were talking and um, I definitely got some comments. They're like, wow, like you're so quiet. Like it was great to hear you talk on the panel. I was like, yeah, you guys did a great job asking very targeted questions. And it was very important for me to talk about my experiences because um, as a person who switched into software and also it's rough, you know, usually I'll there be like 50 engineers and like one woman, you know, that's tough um, mm. being in classes and meetings. I was in um, this meeting with the board of directors and a bunch of other management people a couple of weeks ago, and there must have been 39 people at the meeting and there was only three women. And you wow. kind of realize it doesn't bother me to be so outnumbered, but it's also a light bulb goes off. What? A light bulb goes off. You're like, yeah, huh. like it's it's just sad. Like all these years, you know, you would like to see more representation of anything. And I'm starting to see in like law fields and medical fields, things are getting more diverse. But tech, it really doesn't feel like it is. And I don't mind always being with the guys. But I don't know. It would be nice to have a little bit difference. Same thing with, you know, politics, right? You have so many few women, you have so few non-white people. And I do think everyone brings um, a different perspective to the table. Mm -hmm. So I try to use, mm -hmm. if someone's going to be like, hey, be on a panel and it's all dudes. <laughs> it's like, okay, let me give my perspective to, um, and it's nice to hear the feedback from people like, hey, you gave some great responses. Cool. You know, maybe I'll do this more often. And the more you do it, the less um, nervous you get. I used right. to be on one video call and I'd be like, all right, this is terrifying. And now it's nothing. You know, I, I get used to it after a while, but I still need a lot of alone time to recharge. But I think as time yeah. goes on, I'm becoming more of an extrovert. But I was always the very extreme introvert. So it's going to take a while before I'm actually an extrovert. It sounds like your really your call to leadership because where wherever you've been is kind of like you're you become this person that's basically the expert there, and so when you are the best at what you do or one of the best, people are going to call on you all the time. Like it, yeah. it just happens. That's just how things work when you're the best. People want to hear what you have to say. People want to hear your experience. People want to hear the way that you do things. So it sounds like your success in your call to leadership has really forced you into becoming more of an extrovert because people really want to hear your expertise and big ups to you for taking on the challenge because I have a quick story. I do uh, trainings at work sometimes. So they'll go, Hey, you know, Mr. Franklin, we want to, we want you to talk to us about uh, dealing with, you know, troubled kids, right? The people who are difficult, what do you do? We want to know how you do it. And so recently I was literally called to do that at a what a teacher development day. I know you've heard about those, I'm sure. And there's another teacher who has an, a very a specific expertise. And she's just like, no, nah, you know, I'm not, I don't really want to share, you know, culturally. She was kind of taught to just kind of play the background, just do your job. Don't be out in front. And so I'm like, you really, you really have so much to talk about. Cause she'll talk to me because we're cool. I talk to everybody. 
Yeah. <laughs> I talk to everybody. So she'll talk to me. And so I'm, I'm just asking her questions. I'm like, this stuff that you have, there's very few people with this kind of expertise, but she was just not really wanting to be out in front. And so sometimes that does happen with people who are introverted or culturally they're taught not to be out in front, not to give opinions. Uh, so I think that's commendable that you have stepped up to the plate, especially you talked about diversity and, you know, showing that, hey, women can be here and women do have a voice and women can be experts in the field of a field that's quite frankly, still really new and continuously evolving. Like tech is, is, is still really new. It's, yeah. you know, so things are continuing to change on and on. So how how have you seen things change, I guess, since you started as a software engineer to, to now? Um, honestly, like, I don't think there's been a lot of change. Um, mm. I think a lot of companies talk about wanting change and there it's, it's tough because you have so many um, like male white people doing it. And then, you know, some companies are pretty good about like recruiting from different backgrounds and, I see that um, my boyfriend works at PNC and um, he like regularly, he works with people way higher up than him in engineering and leadership. And for some reason, they're all women. They're all different, like diversity. I think they do a really good job of recruiting. I think companies with a lot of um, money can go and do that. You know, like they have more resources to go into underrepresented places. And I think that that's important. And people be like, oh, you know, why is that so important? You know, you got to pick the per- best person for the job. And I just think that's such bullshit. Like when uh, Biden was like, all right, I'm going to get, um, is he, what did he say? I'm going to get a woman vice president. And then everyone's like, oh, you got to get the best person for the job. And you know what? Like there's no best person for any job. There's just no way because mm-hmm. no one can know every single person out there in the world. There's no best. Right. There's such a selection bias of the people that you know. And usually these people in politics are like old, rich white guys. And I think he did a great job by saying, like, I'm going to have a female come in here. And she was Mm -hmm. incredibly qualified, more qualified than plenty of the other vice presidents in the past. And you know what? She's been vice president and like nothing horrible has happened. And it's it's fine. And I think making choices like that um, can kind of like know that the world will not end because you choose someone a little different. You know, and everyone has something different to the bring to, bring to the table. It's not like he yeah. hired some like high school graduate or like college graduate who has no experience. You know, um, so that's well, my long answer of saying I don't think tech. I think tech still has a lot of ways to go. Um, I do know some people who do who run boot camps. Um, like there's Academy Pittsburgh, which someone I know um, from the tech community runs, and she does a really good job with like diversity, different ways of learning. Um, just cause everyone learns differently and people have like different lives. And so like you have your regular hours, then you have some flex hours. And I think it's pe- important for people to be results oriented, um, mm. which is another reason, well, this tech's pretty good at this, getting people, um, to work remotely. Cause I think that really helps the disability community too, cause they don't have to figure out the logistics of getting back and forth to work. Cause a lot All of physically right. disabled people are good to go mentally. They can do any job they want, you know? That's good. And you talked about going to those places. Like I was looking at, um, there are, uh, I have this project 
one that I give my kids. It's called Build Your School. And so they have to basically they could build the school however they want to. They could put it wherever they want. They could use whatever structure they want, whatever curriculum. So I showed them this video about how different schools do things. And recently a video came across my my YouTube and it was just about what schools, there you go, what schools cost the most money. And I'm like, yo, like, it's not just about how smart you are. These people have the funds to be able to get their kids into these schools and have the opportunity. And if these elite schools are doing it so different than public schools, like clearly we're doing it wrong because they say the best people, they should actually have school this way. And we are clearly not doing it that way. And so I'm like, if I know kids that 100% certain, if you put them in one of those environments, they would knock it out of the park. So it's not about, okay, these people are the smartest or the best, is they have the opportunity. And so what you're talking about is these companies going into these places where people don't have the opportunity and finding those gems to go, huh, okay, like we don't have to go to the most prestigious or the most elite because typically those people just got the opportunity. It's not like they're better or more talented a lot of times because, man, I know some people, some kids that are just off the charts, but they can't afford to pay, you know, 50 or 60000 dollars a year to go to school. So yep, I, I do like that you do all of this community stuff and all of this leadership stuff, which kind of brings us to our next number. And you can kind of talk about some of these things and how you got into that. But this survey, and me and my wife have talked about this many times, uh, says that leadership is 30% genetic and 70% learned. And so I wanted to know what you thought about that because you've been in many different leadership capacities. And I'm sure you've had to grow as a leader yourself. So what do you think? Do you think that ratio is right? Is it around good or do you have something different? No, that actually sounds pretty great. And I think something people forget about is that you can be a leader at any level, you know, you have like little kids being leaders and they're like sharing their toys or setting their boundaries or talking nicely in class or whatever. And then you have parents that, you know, you have all kinds of parents, but, you know, ideally Mm. you want one that, I mean, a lot of people in our generation and higher were raised very differently than kids right now. Um, And I know some people say like, oh, the parents are too nice now. And sometimes I look at them, I'm like, yeah, you are too nice. (laughs) But at the same time, like, I think it's good because you want the parents to be like nice and understanding and like talk to the kids more like they're adults than trying to have authority. Um, so I think sometimes people don't understand that like leadership can come from a lot of ways. Um, cause for example, I don't manage any people really. Um, and I've only managed a handful of people in my life, but I've had leadership positions in organizations, whether explicitly or not. Um, sometimes I just come up with ideas and find a way to implement it. Cause oftentimes a company will be receptive to an idea. Um, but they don't have the time to do it. Kind of how I got into the salary survey is, the managing director of Code and Supply, um, his name is Colin Dean, and he is 
I could say local celebrity, but he's kind of local celebrity. He's like very involved in like so many things in Pittsburgh. And he's like, I want to do the survey. I do not have time. I'm doing like way too much going on. And he's like, does anyone want to do it? I was like, oh, sure. I'll do it. We had talked mm-hmm. like five minutes before. He's like, okay, cool. Do it. I was like, okay. So it ended up um, kind of blowing up into a huge project, which is good. Got a, hundreds of people responding. What started out is just like, how much do you make? What do you do? A few other questions became a way to talk to people in the community and see, I mean, some of the people were making, you know, like 40 grand. Some people were like much more in the middle. Some people were at like making like almost a million dollars, which is just insane. Like, and so what I'm going to do this time is to find these people because the survey is anonymous. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put out like a second survey that's like, look, some of you guys were saying $300,000 wait more or more. And that's a lot of money. Like, how did you get there? Because last time we reported on the numbers, we reported on all this anonymous data. And I want to get in these people's minds. And like, what did you do to get make this kind of money? But going back to the leadership, I do think it's learned and you just got to practice, practice, practice. Because a lot of times in leadership, people do not like your ideas. And a big part is knowing like when to back down because you can't like die mm. on every hill. Right. But also to have a plan for it. Um, so I try to use like, you know, I try to grow my network. Like I'm not that extroverted, but I've met so many cool people in Pittsburgh and a lot of them have messages they want to get out. You know, sometimes I volunteer. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll help you pass out flyers or I'll post something on social media. And before you know it, like you've kind of developed relationships with people that sometimes you've only talked to for two hours and then you just know, okay, I'll talk to them in the future. Like we're here if we need anything um, and vice versa. And I think another part of being a good leader is being really receptive to feedback from people below you and above you. Um, I take every piece of feedback I get very seriously. And sometimes people like joke around. They're like, you take it so seriously that you like let it overrule your life. But I wouldn't go that far. I do think about something's kind of hard. But I feel like everyone, even if I don't think they're right in the end, it's important to listen. You know? I agree. 100%. Because these are the people that are around you, right? They're listening. They're taking, sometimes they're taking orders. Sometimes they're giving orders. And like you said, you can listen. It doesn't hurt anybody to listen. Um, You don't have to take what they said and implement it, right? You can go, oh, okay. After thinking about it, that's garbage. But, you know, <laughs> I'm glad they they told me. They they gave me some feedback. And maybe you go, well, 80% of that I cannot use, but 20% of it, I think I can. And I think it's important to disconnect sometimes, well, oftentimes, our feelings from what the person is saying. Just take it black and white, is this true or is it not true? Have a hard look at yourself and then you can go, okay, yes, that makes sense. It may hurt a little bit, but yep, that makes sense. I do do that. Or now they're off base with that. Maybe they didn't get what I was trying to do, or maybe my message came across the wrong way. Have you ever had a time where people didn't really get what you were trying to do and there was maybe some miscommunication and did that lead to any kind of strife between you two? Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of some examples. 
I've definitely had situations where I try to, for example, help someone with something. Um, Mm. And this goes two ways. Sometimes I gave a lot of like unsolicited advice and that like never, ever, I never mean that like follow my advice. I'm just a natural problem solver. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've been in situations where people are like, oh, you're telling me what to do. I'm like, I'm not. I'm giving my opinion. And like, if someone tells me something, I immediately am like, all right, this is what I think. This is how you can solve it. And oftentimes they're like, oh, actually, I don't need your solutions. And that's kind of hard for me because I'm happy to respect that. But sometimes it's so inclined in me that it's a bad habit to break. And then you also have situations where you think that you are trying to, um, like, you want to be helping someone. And then they think that you have an ulterior motive. Like, hey, I want to help you do this. And they might be like, "Mm, well, like, especially people who've known you for a while, they kind Mm -hmm. of make deductions or say, this hasn't happened to me, but here's an example of something that could happen. Say you are hiring people and like, you're only saying yes to like the women or you're only saying yes to like a particular race or you're only saying yes to like older people. And that's tricky too, because someone may be like, hmm, like you're being discriminatory or something, but sometimes you're just like, they, they suck. And that's something that I think if people stop making assumptions about the other people and like took them at their word, like, hey, I'm just trying to help you because I care about you, not I'm trying to help you with this because I want X outcome for myself. Um, Right. I think people would have a lot less resentment in this world. And I think resentment is one of the least healthy things that you can have because then you just stop caring, you know, about a cause or a person if you're annoyed with everything that they do. So how has your leadership changed over time? Because I, I have, I've had that, that same issue. It's like, okay, somebody's talking to you and they may be telling you a problem. You automatically go into, okay, how can we solve it? If it's a problem, let's solve it. Let's, you know, let's figure it out. But sometimes people just want you to listen, not solve their problem. They, yeah. they already have a solution. They just kind of want to vent, you know? So how has your leadership changed over time? I think I ask for less um, input from people Mm. first. For example, I once worked with this person and she was not my manager, but she had more time there. And for a while she was my manager for like a hot two months. Um, But regardless of that, she thought because she had worked there for so long, she says, everything has to go through me before you present it to like these five people at the company, because I know these five people at the company and you might piss them off because you don't talk like the same way they talk. And I was like, okay, that's kind of bullshit. And she was being like, and I was new. So I was like, okay, you know, if you want to read this, you can read this. And before I go into a meeting, I can do this. And sometimes there would be the case where I would talk to someone and she's like, yeah, that wasn't a good way to talk to them. And after a while I was like, I don't think that this is valuable to me. Um, we got into one, not like an argument, but I was giving, uh, I was getting ready to give a presentation and she had nothing to do with the outcome of the presentation, but she's like, look, we're on the same team. I really want to review what you're doing. It's like, all right, I had three other people look at it already. So she looks through it and she gave me some feedback that I didn't agree with at all. She's like, take this out of your presentation. It's going to go badly. And I, no, like I'll take Whoa. out this, but I'm not going to take that out. And I think there was a period in my life where I would have been like, okay, actually I will take it out when I was much younger. And now I'm older, like I'm 35. I don't give a shit. I told her, I was like, look, if people want to <laughs> not like this, 
they cannot like it. Like, I'm not saying anything bad here. It's just, this is my plan. And while it's not how yeah. you would have executed it, I need to be true to myself and pitch it. Mm. And, you know, the meeting went fine. Honestly, no one had like a positive or negative reaction to it. They mostly, it was positive, but it was, they were so not focused on that. They weren't like, oh, this part is horrible. Like, why are you talking about this? Because I think the feedback I got was, this is off topic. This is going to derail the conversation. Um, but I mm. wanted to add something there to kind of reassure people of what the future was. Um, so that's one way my leadership changed. Um, it was mostly leading myself and not thinking, I didn't always think I needed like the okay from people. Um, but if someone was like, ah, that's a bad idea, you know, I'd be used to be less of a risk taker, but now like, I'm a mm. person, like in my professional career and personal life, I just, I cared a little less. And I think it helps me make decisions faster, you know, because sometimes you just ask for forgiveness later. Right. And usually a lot of people who would say no are just too busy to even really think about it. And sometimes you want to put an answer out there and like do something. And then usually they're like, all right, at least in a professional environment, I found that. It's like if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down my way. I'm going to go down swinging and I'm going to go out kind of just trying it because all too often, we want to play it close to the vest. We want to be conservative. And, you know, people who take risks, those are the people I feel like get ahead. Those are the people who um, make major headway in whatever they're trying to do. Because, you know, conservative is it's boring oftentimes. And so yeah. taking whatever you're going to do and saying, all right, I'm going to do it this way. And whatever happens, you know, we'll go with that. And if something needs to change, then I'm flexible enough to be able to change it. You know, oftentimes it's not life or death. It's not career ending, you know. So, all right, let me do this proposal. If they like it, then great. It may really kill it. And that one thing that you may have been thinking about taking out, that's the thing that would have made it an over-the-top great proposal. But, you know, again, if you would have took that thing out – it's not a risk. It's the same as everybody else's. It's boring. It's status quo. Again, I tell my kids, uh, if you are going to do something different, it better be great, right? If you're going to buck the system and say, okay, the rules do not apply to me, okay, what you bring to the table, it, it just better be really good because you may be doing something I didn't even think of, right? And I think that applies to many different areas. Obviously, time and place, right? You got to know your room. You got to know your your arena. But I think it's always, I would push people more to, to take the risk uh, after maybe evaluating the consequences. Okay, what happens if I take this risk? What's the good? What's the bad? If I can deal with that, take the risk. If I can't, reevaluate and get to a risk level that I do feel more comfortable with. And I think that applies everywhere. So, one more thing I wanted to ask about leadership. You're on the Pittsburgh Technology Council. What is your role there? Um, well, I should say the Pittsburgh Technology Council is a big organization in Pittsburgh. They do a whole lot of things and they have like a job board. They have like a council council. They have um, events they put on. That's not really a plug for them, but kind of like saying it's just a general ner- name. Like, I think they kind of mm-hmm. name themselves very vaguely. 
Stockholm kind of specifying what they do. Um, and part of what they do is they um, have a mentorship program. Um, well, I did this leadership class that one of my former employers paid for, which was nice. Um, it was about 15 other women. They have mixed gender classes. The one that I happened to do was through the tech council and it was women focused and it was people with all kinds of careers. And I was definitely one of the younger ones. Um, but it was mostly about communicating. It wasn't stuff like how to give a presentation. It was mostly communicating, relating to people, kind of coaching each other, like finding support in your networks and how to um, relate to people outside. That's something the tech council did. And what I'm doing with them most recently is this mentorship program. Um, it's called Launch. It's for um, high schoolers who are trying to get into tech. And so they're going to do job shadowing, um, going to talk about, I guess, like the struggles you have, stuff to watch out for, tips, you know, like how to learn something on your own or when is a good time to talk to a coworker. A lot of these people may have just very limited job experience, if any. Um, so it's kind of like getting them ready for outside. Um, cause I know when I got out of college, I was, I mean, I worked at Caribou for a long time. I worked at, um, uh, the preschool. It was during the recession. It was kind of hard to find a job. I didn't have any real special specialized skills. I get, eventually I made my way up to a receptionist position and I didn't know how to answer the phone. Like the, you know, with all the buttons and putting people on hold, I had no idea. Like the only phone I would answer is, you know, the regular phone at my parents' house. And I had a very, very, very old flip phone. And the older people, they were like, how do you not know? You know, you went to college. It was like, they don't teach you in college how to conference someone in or any of this stuff. So for me, that was a big maturity point just in like basic technical skills, like how to send a fax, you know, which so many of the things I learned then people don't do now. But it was helpful at the time. So the idea is to help these kids so they're not like lost on the basics. Because when you're lost on the basics, it makes it so much harder to catch up. And especially like if you have parents that work in offices or work in like a specific field, it gives you such a leg up, even if they don't like financially help you, you know, like basic skills. I know someone who a lot of people who started programming in middle school because their parents were that or like people whose parents are doctors and they would learn all kinds of stuff and like what to prep for. And their parents would be like, yeah, I went through residency. Like, look at this. But a lot of people's parents like minor immigrants and my dad only had sixth grade education they came to this country with nothing and they i mean they most they worked in retail for a long time uh, my mom's had various jobs she bounced around at but they didn't know like they didn't like grow up here they didn't have like those same experiences and a lot of the times like my mom she's doing pretty good now like learn different skills but a lot of the times like we were all kind of learning at the same time you know so I'm glad you used that because now we're going to kind of transition into how you got into tech. And so we're going to do that with this, this number. Cause I saw you, you created something at a, at a um, medical company. And so our, the first automated payment system was BACS and I was based in the UK in 1968. So I read that you developed and roadmapped the first automated payment product for and a medical company that I did not write the name down to. So take us back to that point. So I'm guessing that's where you transitioned into tech. How did that happen? Um, so I was working at an anesthesia practice and um, I was doing some 
billing. I did some like reception work. I did some billing. I did talking to insurance companies. I started like posting the payments that people would, you know, when you pay a bill and then you like mm-hmm. pay on the credit card on the portal or you send in a check or whatever. It was literally applying that to an account. And then the insurance companies will send you like a list. They send you a big old check, like $90,000. And then they send you this list of items that are in the check for each patient. So a big part of my job was posting that and like making sure the insurance company paid right, the customer paid right, and the balance was right. And there was probably 12 big insurance companies, probably less now because so many of them are merging and, you know, taking over. But at the time there was about 12 and we had one or two of them that was sending in um, like automated payments. So all I would have to do was key a couple things into the computer and um, hit a button and it would populate everything. And I would just verify it. Usually like five to 10% of it was wrong. I would update it. No big deal. Then we would get these other checks, for example, like Medicaid, uh, a couple of the other like really big insurance companies. And they would send us these checks with just hundreds of patients on them. And we had to key it in manually. So if you're off by one penny, you had to go back through everything to figure out where the problem was. And I'm like, this is this is ridiculous. And I was like, there has to be a better way. And I looked at each of these insurance companies and I was like, can we anyway do like automated payments and I can just verify things? And they're like, yeah, well, we have to um, set that up. And I was thinking like, since they're like a government organization or some of these were private organizations, I was like, you guys truly have the technology to put this on the internet. And some of them did, some of them didn't. Like we had to work out some really specialized agreements with some of them, Um, Mm. but they wanted, they were in favor because then they would get their money faster and people wouldn't be owing. People would have fewer phone calls to the insurance company if we did our job right. And then, um, so I wasn't doing software engineering for this, but I, a big part of working in product management and engineering is like understanding what engineers do. And at the company where I worked, we had one engineer, but he didn't really work with us. He worked on something else. So I was like, this is what I want to do. I want these payments to be automated, easier to use. And then the people who designed the software we use, I worked with them to get it sorted. Like, okay, these are the rates we have. This is how I want it to post. This is where I want something to just be rejected because it's so long. And like we put in programming conditionals for everything. And they were writing a code because they were the only ones who had access. But I was kind of guiding it. Like if this, then that, whatever, like this is how we're going to check it's right. Um, And ultimately, once we got all that rolled out after a couple months, we ended up saving like 20 hours a week sometimes more if like there was a mistake and that cleared us up to do other things. And now with almost all the insurance companies, you press a button, it posts. Yeah. You have to review a bunch of them, but it's so much better than it was. And people were getting less burned out too. And then from there I was thinking, well, it'd be cool if I could be the one actually writing the code. Mm. Um, so I figured I would go to a coding boot camp and learn how to do that. And that's kind of where it all started. And that was pretty rough, you know, learning something completely new um, without a lot of support Um, because everyone's got so much that they're learning that is kind of hard. Like you can ask people for help, but you kind of feel like you're like a burden on them because everyone's Mm. so busy. Right. So you want to learn it yourself. But um, that's how I started. I wanted to have more control over what I did. So you go from there. How long were you a coder? Like, so when you started doing your software engineer thing, how long did that last before you wanted to transition into something new? 
2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, part 21. So it was like four and a half years. Mm. Um, and my goal was what? not to program forever either. Mm. What sparked it? What was the the experience or the memory where you go, okay, uh, coding was was great or not so great. Now I need to I need to transition. I got to move, and I think from there you go to Libsyn. So what was that that moment like? Um, I just really wasn't liking what I was working on day to day. Um, I worked at a healthcare company that did um, healthcare technology, and the stuff they do is really cool. It makes um, patients, when you go to a hospital, it helps you move through the system faster. So everything's kind of automated and like it tracks where patients are. So someone's not having to be like, oh, they moved from this room to this room. And those little wristbands you wear has a tracker. There's so many things that have trackers. Um, and that's a big part of what I worked on. And it was like making the patient experience easy, the doctor's experience easier so they can spend more time with the patient. And that was pretty rewarding. But the work itself to me was, it was kind of, I don't know, kind of boring in a way because they give you um, very specific, like do this, do that, like fix this bug. This isn't working right. And in some ways it's like really rewarding to type something out, fix it. You see it on the screen, you see it uh, produced to the whole world, but that kind of wears on you after a while. And mm. some people want to do that forever because they really enjoy that. And I didn't like it that much. Mostly I did it was to get some kind of like change in my career um, and to have more technical uh, background. Because if I switch to product management or anything else really in tech, it helps you to have that software background. And I've gotten feedback right. from the engineers that I work with that, you know, for a product person, I'm like pretty technical and I can understand a lot of what they're doing. Some stuff in like a language I haven't used or some really complicated things I don't. And that's fine. It's not critical to my job all the time. But if something is critical, I'm pretty good at understanding it, um, testing mm. it out. And that was a big advantage for me. I wanted to diversify my experience. So how'd you get to Libsyn? Um, someone I know from the tech community. Well, actually, I didn't really know him. He was just in the community, which has like a few thousand people. And he posted that they were looking for a product person. I was like, oh, I'm looking for a job. I was already interviewing at a bunch of other places. Um, but I talked to him about it. It was definitely a growing company at the time. Like Libsyn almost tripled in size. Well, if you count the acquisitions we made, they basically quadrupled in size since I started working there. It did a ton of growth because number one, podcasting was growing. And also a lot of their acquisitions weren't podcast related. Like we own uh, domains and servers and like uh, antivirus scanning and all that, virus scanning. Um, and then we also own an advertising company that usually mm. advertise on podcasts, but like we do stuff other than podcast hosting and publishing. And that's how they grew so much. So I talked to him and seemed, seemed cool. And I interviewed. Um, and the main reason I took that job over other jobs was because I felt like I would have a much higher scope of influence. They told mm. me right off the bat, they're like, all right, you're going to work on this specific product um, and we're growing. So you're probably going to get to do more. And if you work at a bigger company, for example, I got a offer from another huge company in Pittsburgh, and I knew that while it was a massive company, um, I wouldn't really be able to do so much on my own because I knew that I was going to report to a couple more people. And right now, I, I just report to the president, um, and I won't have so many people in between. 
Um, and some of these big companies have so much bureaucracy in terms of paperwork, yeah. getting something pushed through. So red I said, tape. all right, oh, we're, yeah, red tape. And I'll work it for a small company, even though I've never worked for one that small. But it worked out. I ended up, I have three, kind of three and a half products I work on. Um, and I'm not going to say very little oversight, but generally whatever I want to make, I can do. As long as like I got to get the sign off if it's going to be something expensive. But for example, this call recording and scheduling tool that we're building from scratch, I had some general guidelines, obviously like multi-track recording, you know, high quality this, there's some things that are absolutely required. But in terms of things like I added in a live chat and an agenda section and a chat history and the ability to like pause and unpause somebody uh, published to different places, like that's kind of stuff that I came up with. And it makes sense to have that in a recording application. So of course, no one was like, bad idea. But no one's telling me like, you have to do this, this and this, which is nice. It's great to have that autonomy, yeah. especially when you feel like when you take ownership of it, because now you're going to do everything you can to make whatever it is the best that it can be. Yep. And when you're in the space, you're like, well, this is what, you know, this is what podcasters will want. So let's just add it. And again, ask forgiveness later, but most of the time, if it's a great idea and if it's something that's needed and it makes sense, it's going to go, oh man, we didn't even think of that. That's yeah. awesome. And so now you will be in a position to be able to get more responsibility and people are not going to bother you. Uh, I love that about my job because people trust me with the work that I do in my classroom. So there's not always somebody coming in bothering me about what I'm doing, right? There's more times, more often than not, people coming in to see what I'm doing so that they can now say, hey, uh, we want to send somebody to you. Hey, talk to them about this or help people with this or do a, do a, a training on this. So I think that kind of brings us full circle to like just leadership and training and growing in our in our jobs. And so I think that is going to bring us to our last piece, which I ask every guest that I have on. And you talked about <laughs> this first question. So maybe as we have come to to the end, you do have an answer now. So our three what's with our first one being what's an opinion that you have that will be considered unpopular? That is still a tough question for me. Um, I guess I'm going back to what I was saying about the picking the best person for a job. That's one that mm. um, stands out to me. You know, like look at some of the people we've had in charge definitely weren't the best person for the job. Um, I think that there should be this. I don't also don't know if this is um, an unpopular opinion. I think that there should be term limits for everyone in, um, in any office. Mm. I don't think there should be age limits. Like if someone is a senior citizen, like what do they say? 60 is the new 40, right? If they want to do that, then fine. If you want to be president in 92, like I'm sure Bernie Sanders would. And like, that's fine. I just think that if you are in any kind of government position or Supreme court, anything related to that, like you need to have a term limit and maybe mm. even take 10 years, 12 years. And then like work 12 years, maybe take another 10 years, go back into the real world and come back kind of like the, cause they do it for presidents. They need to do it right. for everybody else. Um, mm. And what else? I, I'm getting a little political here. I definitely think there should be like a wealth tax at the top. 
Um, but if I want to, you can edit that out if that's too political for your podcast. <laughs> um, that's cool. But yeah. Um, otherwise, I li- I really like this. Is like such a unpop. This is such a popular unpopular opinion. But I really like fruit on pizza, which this I think is so hotly contested. But I love it, and like I love putting peanuts on everything. So like some people get weird about those. Like, oh, why is peanuts in this food? The Chinese food has peanuts. The Thai food has peanuts. You know, the African food. All these countries have peanuts on their food. You know, I think it's good. And some people just kind of get over it. Um, <laughs> I mean, ask for it with no peanuts if it's so particular. You know, it's because that's such a staple in a lot of countries you know or it's like a garnish yeah, a way yeah. to add flavor for not a lot of cost so um as far as food is concerned like if you like fruit on your pizza fine if you like peanuts fine eat what you eat what you want it's your food so i've become less polarizing as i got older because it doesn't matter most of the time <laughs> Most things is like, all right, I could have a strong opinion, really. I could really go after this. And I would have when I was in my 20s. But, you know, if that's what they like, fine. Go for it, okay? I don't think that's great for for podcasting or an opinion space. But, hey, guess what? This is the Living Numbers podcast with Tony Rambles. And if I want to be middle of the road, I can. <laughs> okay, next what? What's if you weren't in tech, in uh, podcasting, what field would you work in? I'd be a doctor for sure. Hundred percent, I would be a doctor. Um, one reason, there's two main reasons I didn't go into it. Number one, money, because I was working like all through college, like I was working full time and I was going to school full time, and that was rough. And I know in medical school. Like, and I still had a ton of debt, right? Like, I was like, all right, this is enough to pay my rent and, like, pay the interest on my loans. And I graduated, I still have, like, $60,000 in loans. And then I know medical school, because a couple of my friends went, and you don't, you're not making, like, you don't have time to make money. So what they did, because they didn't have rich parents, they just took out these huge loans. So they knew they were going to earn it back. Like, my friend has been, like, some of my doctor friends are making, like, quarter million dollars, but they have, like, that much in debt. And they're in their thirties and they haven't like worked any kind of job that paid that much until now. Like residents only make like fifty, sixty thousand dollars, which is good, you know, nationwide, but for being a doctor and the amount of debt you have. And a lot of it sometimes you can do like um interest deferrals, but usually you can't. And their interest is piling up and it's gonna take her probably her entire life to pay off these loans. And it's all right because she really cares about her job and you know, you set an aside an amount to pay, but you can still have like a pretty nice life while you're mm. paying it off really slowly. But like, to me, that was a hangover my head. I'd be like, Oh my God, I have all this debt. Like I'm not going to be able to get rid of it. That would be super stressful for me. So that's one reason I didn't do it. And if medical school, even if undergrad, if I had gone on a full scholarship or it was just cheaper than it is now, I think people would be more likely to do other careers and then you'd get more mm. diversity in there. Um, and the other reason why I wasn't a doctor was I didn't want to do residency. Um, I have a couple of friends who actually quit during residency and they do like medical related jobs because the hours are so crazy and I don't mind like working a lot. Like I work a lot now. I have various jobs. I put in a lot of hours on different projects, but the fact of like being in a hospital and being in one place, sometimes there's no windows. Like there's a lot of people. 
Like, I think that would be really hard on me. The different hours. Mm. Sometimes you have to stay up all night. Then you're sleeping all night. Like, I kind of like to keep a schedule. And those are the two reasons why I didn't do it. But I would love to help people. I'm really interested in, like, diseases and other stuff. Um, I, like, mm-hmm. read about them as a hobby. Um, and problem solving, which is a lot of what doctors do. Wow. That's a big flip from tech to yeah medical. Yeah. <laughs> and that would 100% been what I did if it was just lower lower barrier to entry, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Last what? What advice would you give to someone in high school? So if I take this video back and I, hey, hey kids, Yvette Manasseh has some great advice for you. Listen to her. She's an expert. What would you say to those kids? I think to be smart about finances, because I didn't know anything. Like I probably should have, for example, gone to community college for two years, um, put money in my 401k the second an employer gave me the option. And I was like, oh, I got loans. I got this. Like, let me not put anything in here for five to six years. And, you know, I should have just put in that like two to three percent because it does compound. Mm. And they tell you that they're like, oh, it compounds. And you just don't believe it. And I think kids these days are really they seem so much more financially savvy. I think part of it's the Internet. Um, Like I see a lot of people seems like a lot of people are going to community college um, or like looking at scholarships. I mean, have you experienced that as a teacher? Like, do you think they're getting more financially savvy? Putting money in investments and stuff. Yes. Or like option. I've had kids go, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at, uh, you know, crypto. Yeah. Or I'm looking at a uh, Forex, like a lot of them, because also like that stuff's all over TikTok where you have yep. people who have dedicated pages to it. And so they see something that is interesting. And again, access to information is all over the place right now. So you got YouTube, you have things like TikTok where you can post these short form videos and get information. You have stuff like Instagram. There's way easier ways to get information now as opposed to like the internet for us, because I'm 33 and you said you're 35, right? Uh, yeah. It, it wasn't, it was not even close to what it is today. We were in high school. Like we were just using the internet to like download music <laughs> and maybe, and maybe watch movies if we could. No, we weren't watching them on the internet. We were burning them onto DVDs. And so the access to information is so crazy. And so the kids now, and also another thing is they want to be business owners. So they, they'll they have yeah. their own business where they're doing lashes or they're doing hair or they want to sell, they reselling shoes. So they are more business savvy. I don't think, um, and this is just kind of part of being young. They don't necessarily understand what it means to have a business full time and grow it to scale uh, because they think, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to be a business owner. I'm going to just have my own business. I'm not going to work for anyone. It's like, okay, well, that is, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of hours and a lot of times you're not making any money to start. So a lot of people who do have businesses, they have other jobs that they work until they can scale their business and grow it to a place where it is self-sustaining and they can make money. Because it's one thing to make money, then it's another thing to break even. Yep. And then it's another thing to actually go, all right, 
now I can do this full time to where I'm able to to save or I'm able to hire other people. So yeah, they don't know that part yet, but that's how, I think that's more a function of just being young and not having to do it uh, when they're outside of their their parents or guardians' home in which the, where they live. So they are more savvy in that way for sure. Yep. Yeah, I'm noticing that too. But I think that's a, a great place to to set it. I'm glad we were able to get this set up. You're like, I definitely come on your podcast. I'm like, okay, cool, let's do it. And I'm about action. So we are here, what, about a month-ish, right? Podcast yeah. movement was like end of August. Yeah. So here we are. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, if there is... If you're looking for anyone else to be on here, I know different people with different backgrounds. If you're looking for like a specific thing. Um, yeah. Thank you. It was good meeting you. Always, always looking for people, interesting people who have something to say, who've done some things and want to give some uh, background and advice to people. I think that's what we're, we're all looking for, I think. And so this gives people an opportunity to, to do that. So any last thoughts, anything that you want to plug? I mean, I know you're not like a a podcaster, so usually people go, oh, follow me on social media. But uh, this is an opportunity for, for you to plug anything that you're doing, anything that you want people to be aware of in your community. Uh, ready, set, go. Uh, yeah. Um, if you are looking to get involved with the – well, I'll just give you my work email for everything. Um, Y-V-E-T-T-E at – libsyn.com if you're looking to get involved with a tech community there's a lot of people in that community who um don't program and they're just there to like talk about other shit um there's a slack channel anyone can um is welcome and then um libsyn is the company i work for i don't get anything for saying this but um i work on three products uh two are related to recording one two of them have very, very, very high quality recording and is intended for um, conferencing people in. So three to 12 people. Um, And we're doing beta testing right now, which would mean you can use it for free. You'll be able to use it free for like two years because people who help test, they are going to get hooked up in the end. Um, And it's very clear recording tool. You can use it for calls. Um, So I'm plugging that because we need testers, honestly. Um, We're looking for people out there who really have podcasts um, and then Libsyn in general, if you're looking to start a podcast, you know, come with us and like, we can give you all kind of tips and get you set up. Um, but if you want to be part of testing new things, you know, reach me, reach out to me. All right. You heard it here first. Uh, again, I just want to thank Yvette for coming on the Living Numbers podcast and make sure you all like, subscribe, download. Of course, when you subscribe, you get extra, extra interviews, extra behind the scenes stuff. So it's definitely worth it to do so, Apple and Spotify. And for Yvette, this is your host, Tony Rambles, signing off for the Living Numbers podcast. And I will see you all in the next round. All right. All right. That's good.